0: Well, what a great opportunity it is for us to be able to say together how great the Lord is. We're going to dismiss our Promised Land children now. So those that uh, are fifth grade and under, you're welcome to go with our Promised Land leaders. And you'll have a special end of the ministry year time together. For fifth grade and under, Dorothy. Okay. (laughs) I just couldn't resist. Sorry, I'll pay for that later. All right, again, thank you, Matt, for leading us in Jerry's absence. I appreciate that and, and the pleasure it has been for us to be in God's <laughs> presence in the way that we have for these moments. I'm going to be speaking in just a moment from First Peter, chapter five and from First Corinthians chapter five. So let me encourage you to open up a New Testament. And find those two passages so that you're ready to read along with me in a moment. 1 Peter chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So we are in this uh, series of talks about the church. And what we have been trying to raise uh, in terms of uh, importance and gathering your attention for these weeks is that uh, God thinks a lot of His church. Uh, He thinks of his church a lot more than we do, and it's incumbent upon us to begin to see his church the way that he sees his church, and to be about his church the way he calls us to be about his church. And so uh, we launched off into that, into the study of the doctrine of the church, by me giving you a big story. We we looked at the meta narrative a couple of weeks ago, beginning all the way with creation, and then the fall of humanity and God's purpose and plan to pursue and to redeem humanity to himself. And we talked about how he, he began establishing this covenant with Abraham so that uh, all the descendants uh, of Abraham would be in this line of uh, proclaiming who he is and calling a world to himself. And then we got into all of the uh, prophetic things and the ancient history things. I took you through 6,000 years and 30 minutes. And we had quite the trip. Uh, highlighting, uh, you know, right there in the middle what Jesus Christ did for us when he lived a perfect life and died an atoning death and conquered death and rose again and went back to uh, glory at the right hand of the Father to intercede on our behalf and how the book of Acts then uh, gave launch and birth to the church who was entrusted with this gospel message, this good news. And then we went through all the pastoral uh, epistles of Paul and and Peter and James, etc. Last time, then, we began to to see how that played out in a macro, big view kind of way. And we talked about the church, like universal, being all believers in Jesus Christ in all places, during all times and ages. And what distinguishes a church from every other kind of uh, group, you know, whether they are community-invested, good groups and all that or what, uh, the thing that distinguishes a church is the rightly pres- presentation of the Word of God. What does God say and what does God call from us in this world? the right presentation of the Word of God and the right administration of the ordinances of God. And We talked about baptism and we talked about the Lord's Supper. So we've done the whole historical piece. We began to look at the church in a macro, big picture kind of way today. We go micro. We look at the church in a much smaller way, particularly in a local (laughs) context. Last time we talked about what is the church, today we're talking about what is this church what is this church what's God up to with a local congregation and I'm basically going to just say two things about it and I'm going to do so in terms of why the scriptures call for us to have engagement and membership if you will in a local church and that's not without dispute today There's a lot of people that have concluded that uh, the church is a kind of take-it-or-leave-it thing. The main thing is for me to be spiritual. The main thing is for me to uh, have spiritual practices and and some kind of engagement of God. The church, you know, you can take it or leave it. And and so we have uh, a situation today where a number of people basically have adopted uh, a habit of uh, if they do go to church, they drop in. They get a little inspirational lift, and then they slip out. Or they uh, have made something of a buffet of church, right? And so they'll go to this church because they like the music, and then they'll go to that church because they like the teaching, and then they'll go to this other church because they like the youth ministry, and they just kind of spread it around, and they just go to the buffet, and they pick what they want, and they slip out when they have uh, consumed what they wanted to consume. And I'm going to be suggesting to you today that that is a non-biblical experience of church and it is a dangerous and deadly experience of church and so first of all I'm going to make the case for membership in a local church by examining the scriptures and then we're going to finish briefly with looking at the purpose of membership in a local church now before I get into looking at the scriptures with you let me give one little disclaimer this uh, gathering today is not about how are we going to pump up membership at Meadowbrook. Uh, this is not about okay, how do I convince you to join this church? All right, it's not about that at all. This is totally and simply about making the case from the Bible about about why local church membership is important, why it is essential, and. So much so that to not have membership in a local church is rebellion and disobedience to God. That's what I want us to see today. And if it turns out that along the way, God kind of speaks into your life and convicts you in such a way that you feel impressed, you know what, I think maybe I need to invest my life in this church. Then that's an outcome that would be great, but that's not what we're shooting for. We're shooting for a good biblical experience of seeing what God's up to with His church. Alright, so the case for membership. I'm suggesting to you that what you find in the Bible is uh, more or less accepting of the reality of membership in a local church, not so much a, a thou shalt join the local church. You won't find that verse. Thou shalt join. A local church. That verse is not in the Bible. What you have is an assumption all across that you will have membership in a local church. And we begin with uh, by looking at a text that makes the case for submission to church elders. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, we're told, Obey your leaders, talking to people in the church. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So, in other words, the writer to the Hebrews is saying, God's placed authority over you. This authority is in the the person of elders and leaders in a church. I want to instruct you. I want to teach you. I want to guide you. I want to do some important things in your lives through these people. And so, don't be weird about that. Don't give them a hard time. Don't make their job harder. Submit to them. And then we're told in um, the writings of Paul that you not only submit to the elders that God's placed over you, but you honor them. In 1 Timothy 5, verse 17, he said, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So, with those two verses, let me just ask you, if they do not have expression in a local context, then how in the world do you follow and obey those verses? To whom would you submit To whom would you show honor if it was not in a local context? Now, no doubt some of you have had young men in white shirts and ties with a little badge on their shirt that says, Elder, knock on your door. Are you supposed to submit to them? Have you heard about the pastor in Topeka, Kansas, by the name of Fred Phelps, who leads his church to go to funerals? of slain U.S. military personnel all over the country and there they protest and they yell and they scream how these fallen soldiers are tools of the devil and why they deserve to die. Are you supposed to submit to and honor somebody like that? There's a guy in Houston, Texas by the name of Joel Osteen has got like the largest church in America right now millions tune in to watch his broadcast every week on television are you supposed to submit to him? Well, let's bring it more close to home. I have a couple of very good pastor friends right here in Redmond. They have elders in their church. Let's say that they just happened to show up today. They walked in the door and they said, uh, we don't really mean to interrupt, but we wanted to tell you, we disapprove of your ministry uh, of English as a second language, ESL, and we don't like the fact that you are working with teen moms, and we want to tell you that you should stop that. And by the way, the space next door that you're hoping to develop for children and youth ministries, uh, not needed. Just just take that off the plan. Are we supposed to submit to and honor that? See, obviously everything I just said is ridiculous. Because it, it's just apparent that when you start talking about the application of these passages, it must be in the local context of the church where you have membership and connection and the investment of your life. See, in the third place, what the Scriptures have to say about shepherding the flock. In 1 Peter chapter 5, and if you have your Bible, this is the time to open it and look at that. Listen to what Peter says to elders about shepherding the flock in 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing to as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now notice what Peter exhorts to elders. He says, shepherd the flock that is right there among you. Not the flock all over the world, not the flock all over the globe, not the flock in one whole region. Shepherd the flock that is just right there with you. And he goes on to say, here's how you do that. You exercise your oversight, NIV said rulership, not by lording it over or being domineering, but by being an example. That's how you exercise your shepherding. It's by being an example. So listen, that means there's got to be proximity to someone if they're going to be able to be an example to you. And may I suggest that a person standing on a platform and talking every week is not particularly exemplary. You don't know me from the platform. But you do know me when we do small group together during the week or if I'm over at your house having a meal, or if we go together to Starbucks to have a coffee, or we serve together on one of the ministry projects that we do around here, in that context, you get to know me, I get to know you, and examples happen. And so, uh, in the exhortation about how shepherding takes place, it totally makes the case that it happens in a local church context where you are a member. And then we're told about church discipline. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, uh, this is one of the least favorite subjects of people. When you start talking about church discipline. But the Bible has a whole lot to say about the obedience that God expects of His people to Himself. has a whole lot to say about that. And uh, what happens when people that claim to be followers of Christ live disobediently. What do you do about that? Well, Paul writes to the church that's in Corinth instruction about what to do when you have an openly, unrepentant, uh, rebellious, sinning individual. He said you practice discipline. Now, friend, that has to happen in a local context. That can't happen around the world with the church at large because people don't know people in that kind of way. It has to happen in a context where you know people. Now, this scenario that we're going to look at, and by the way, I'm going to be speaking extensively about church discipline in a couple of weeks, uh, preview of coming attractions here. But what we're looking at today with this illustration is straight from Jerry Springer's show. It is that bizarre. It's that weird. So look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife. And you, church, are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Let's pause there. What was going on here? Apparently, you're looking at a situation where a church member, man, is sleeping with and having relations with his mother. It says his father's wife. So it could be a stepmother, but in either case, it would be considered incestuous, immoral, sinful. And not only is this taking place, but the church is boasting in it. That is to say, they're caring about this attitude that is like this. Isn't God great that he would love someone like this guy that must mean he can love everyone and Paul said biblically speaking are you nuts have you lost it this man is an arrogant defiant rebellious in the face of God person kick him Don't Don't even bat an eye. Don't even waste a second on it. But He does so to let you know what discipline is about. Church discipline is the most loving thing you can do. Now, if I have my preschool son wanting to go out and play in the traffic with cars zipping by all around him, it is not loving For me to be lenient at that point and to look away in the other direction and just kind of hope that he realizes that he should not play in traffic. And I hope that he'll remove himself from in front of all those cars. That's like the most unloving, uncaring, unresponsible thing that a father could do. And so what I would want to do instead is I would want to go out and grab my son by the arm, pull him out of the traffic, probably spat him on the bottom, and then command him, do not go into the traffic again. And thereby hope to save his life. And that is what church discipline is about, friends. It's about getting hold of a brother or a sister and saying, wake up. You can't play in sin this kind of way. It will be your death. And hopefully, the person being disciplined would have a repentant heart turned back to God and away from the sin and be reconciled once again. That's the whole hope and the point of discipline. Now, pick up with me in the story, verse 9. Paul said, I've written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but a sexually immoral, or greedy, or an idolater, or a slanderer, or a drunkard, or a swindler. With such a man do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. And so here's the other thing that you want to grasp about church discipline. It's for those inside the church. It's for those that claim to know Christ and follow Christ and, and purposing with their life to be in obedience and in alignment with God. And he said, when I say don't hang out with immoral people, I'm not talking about people in the world. If you did that, you'd never hang with anybody in the world with liars and swindlers and idolaters and so on. I'm not talking about the people that are outside the church. I'm talking about the people that are inside the church. Do not judge the people outside the church. Definitely judge the people that are inside the church. Examine their behaviors and if things are getting out of alignment, do something about it. Purge that from the midst of the church. And as I said, I'm going to say a lot more about this in two weeks. But the point in this context is the only way that can happen is in a local church. Where people know each other and know what's going on in one another's lives. And so it's totally assuming that you have that kind of experience going on in your life a local church membership and local engagement. Now, I I want to be as clear with you as I know how to be about this particular illustration because we're going to leave it. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner we're in this church and it's right for us to be so because we hate our sin because it grieves our heart to stumble and fall into a sinful practice that was not the case with the man of the church in Corinth he did not hate his sin he was openly arrogant and uh, defiant and disobedient to God he was like I'm going to do what I do and I don't care what God says about it and Paul says that kind of disposition about sin and God has to be purged from the church discipline that guy hope that he turns to God while you discipline him pray that he does now, this happened in our church a few years ago, a long time ago, so you have no clue who I'm talking about. But we had a couple visiting in our church, and, and I had not met them, didn't really know them. But as I uh, began to see them and talk with them, you know, as they would leave and so on, uh, you know, I was just welcome, welcoming them around here. It was, you know, hopeful that it was going to be a meaningful experience to them. After they had been coming for about a month, I got a telephone call from another church. And the person on the other end of the line said, Do you have so-and-so and so-and-so coming to your church? And I said, Well, yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. And they said, Well, the guy is actually married to this woman. And the woman is actually married to this guy. And the four of them were best friends in our church. And the guy and the gal ended up having an affair with each other. They've left their spouses. They've left their their children And we began to discipline them about that, asking for them to repent, asking them to turn back to God, asking them to turn back to their spouses and their children. And they left us. And now they're in your church. So, I went calling and came into their living room. Uh, They live in apartments just around the corner from here. And I said, I need to talk to you for a little while. Do you have time? They invited me in. I sat down. I said, uh, you know, I got a telephone call. Here's what the telephone call said. What's the deal? And they go, well, it's exactly right. We fell in love with each other. We've left our spouses. We uh, are totally enjoying being hooked up with each other. We know it's wrong. But we love being with each other. We're not going to stop. And I said, well then, you're going to have to be together and not in my church. Not at Meadowbrook. It can't happen. And I made another plea, as their church had made a plea, for them to turn their hearts toward God and repent of what they were doing, but they would not. Now friends, let me just say, these kinds of scenarios are not happening in the majority of churches across America in today's evangelicalism, the church across our country is so sick, what I've just described to you almost never happens. A, because church leaders, elders and pastors, are afraid to do it. They're afraid that people are going to leave the church if they act biblically. Or they're afraid that people will get so upset they'll get fired and lose their job. Or B... Churches don't practice it because as they attempt to, those that are being disciplined leave the church, flee, run, like that couple did. Happening all over the country. And as I said, I'm going to say more about this in a couple of weeks. But the point here is this. God has a purpose for the local church. And if we abort that purpose, we hinder the work that He's seeking to do in us as individuals and us collectively as a group. Discipline is a good thing. Discipline is a loving thing. Um, Discipline happens with the hope of repentance and reconciliation. It's not a punitive thing. Well, let me just move on, and I'll just give you these briefly in terms of making the case for local church membership. In uh, Acts chapter two, they kept a numerical record of those who were coming to Christ. Uh, in First Timothy five, or let me say in Acts six, then they had an election of deacons. Uh, in First Timothy five, they kept a record of widows. Uh, in Romans chapter sixteen, they actually had a whole listing of church members by name. I could give you dozens and dozens and dozens of more examples to make the case for local church membership, but let me move on to and close with. What's the purpose? What's the purpose of membership? And the first one is this, obedience. Now, if you've got that word loaded so that that's a bad word to you, then I'm just pleading with you today to let God freshly define the word for you. That is an awesome, powerful, positive word. Obedience is not just towing the line on God's commandments. Obedience is not just uh, saying yes to all the rules of God and religion. Obedience is a discipline in my life. It's a practice in my life where I'm looking to train my life in the ways of God. What these parents just did today was a matter of obedience. God said, I want you to be this kind of mother. I want you to be this kind of father. And so they were lining themselves up obediently, saying, okay, I'm going to look to you to train me in every way to be the kind of godly mother or father you want me to be. And for this to be the, the godly son or daughter that you want them to be. Now, just think about it. If my wife had married Jesus Christ, she'd have the most awesome marriage in the world. Amen? You get that? I mean, does He know how to love people? Does He know how to understand people? Does He know how to meet needs? Does He know how to be with you in ways that you need to be with? If she had married Christ rather than the guy she got, it would have been awesome. But instead she got me. No no kidding. At the time, no great catch. But because my life is under the authority of Christ and I have been living these past 31 years of marriage as best I can in obedience to Him. Guess what that obedience has been doing? That has been shaping and forming and transforming my life to be like Christ. So that hopefully before we die and our marriage is over, she's got almost a marriage to Jesus Christ. So this is how that works. In Christ's love for me and His love for her, He's involved in our marriage. I mean, He's so big, He's involved in everything going on around the globe. And my marriage. That's how big He is. We were just singing about how great is our God. That's how great He is. And so in our marriage, God will say to me, He'll make an impression on my heart. He'll prompt me. Say this to Sherry. Do this for Sherry. Serve in this kind of way. And every time I obey, every time I cooperate with what God's up to, Our marriage does well. And if I do that for years and years and years, it begins to flourish more and more and more. You follow me? Now, here's where the church comes into that. Because in the church, particularly in my small group or with some of you that I hang with in in a variety of capacities, I live an open life. I'll tell you how it's going in my marriage. You can ask me anytime. I'll tell you how it's going in my marriage. That's my commitment to you. I'll ask you those questions too. And your commitment to me, we have a covenant together, is that you'll be authentic and upfront and real with me about that. So we know what's going on in each other's lives, and in each other's marriages, in each other's homes, in each other's workplaces, and so on like that. And if I've got some slippage going on in my marriage with respect to obeying God and being the kind of husband He's calling me to be, you know it! And you call me on that. I've had people in my small group before say, are you loving her well when that happens? And see, at that point, I can either choose to be confessional, and go, no, no, and get obedient again, or I can choose to harden my heart and say, yeah, it's good enough for her, given what happened. (laughs) And right there, in, in that situation, I'm in this, Formation experience where my obedience continues the formation process, my disobedience blocks the formation process. Are you following me? And God does the same thing with me about my parenting. He does the same thing with me about being a minister. He does the same thing in me about being a friend to anyone that's around me, being a responsible citizen in this community and in this country. That's how He is at work in us, and that's how the church is around us, in that kind of life journey way. Now let me say in the second place Local church membership is not only for my obedience and for your obedience, it's for our protection. The scriptures are very clear. There's an enemy to our soul, first Peter five eight. Be sober minded, get it. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We have a very real enemy to our soul. And it's not an atheist. It's not an anti-Christian. It is a spiritual being the Bible refers to as the devil. And he has strategies that go about tempting us. For what purpose? To get us out of obedience. Now let me just be honest with you. Today when this service is over, in just a couple of minutes, I promise... (laughs) When this service is over and we walk out of here and we go into the parking lot, and some guy gets out of his car, you know, and he comes over and he says, Come here, Scott. And I come over and he goes, you know, i got this stuff. And he's trying to sell me drugs. No problem. I don't even have, honestly, I don't even have to pray. God help me withstand this temptation. It has no power over me. I can just blow the guy off, or I can be praying that God break his heart about drugs and all those other kind of stuff. Let's let's say that I've got a neighbor, and I do, who has a very unkempt yard, and I you know I'm growing weary of my property value being devalued because I've got all these weeds and all this stuff, and you know I'm kind of moaning about it one day, and you go Scott, just take care of that here, and you give me a gun. You say, just kill him, get it over. <laughs> I do not have to get a piece of paper and do a pro-con list. Well, the pro would be, he'd be gone, the con be... I don't even have to do that. It is no temptation to me. But, I can be sitting in my study preparing a sermon, doing holy work, and be tempted to write a line that would have me come off as witty or clever or intelligent rather than make much of God, make much of me? And that's a real temptation to me. And at that point, I need believers. I need brothers and sisters. I need people that love me and know me, that pray for me in that kind of way. And I have that. Many of you pray for me in that kind of way. Many of you say, hey, I especially pray for you on Saturdays because I know you do a lot of your sermon work on Saturdays. Hebrews 3.13 says, Exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Here's how it works. If I succumb to the temptation to be clever in a sermon, my heart gets just a little bit hardened. Hardened. And then I go out into my home and God prompts me to do something for Sherry and I go, I don't want to. And I don't. My heart gets a little more hardened. And then maybe later in the day, you call me and you say you really need me for X, Y, Z and I kind of make up an excuse slash lie. My heart gets a little bit harder. And the next thing I know, subtly... I have been distancing myself from God with a disobedient and hardened heart. And I am now sabotaging the Christ formation work that He is doing in me. But because I'm in a local church context where I'm known and I'm cared about and I'm prayed for and I'm walked with, I am helped in my saying no to temptation and keeping my heart soft. Now many of you in here, you know. You know when my heart is at a soft place and you know when my heart's getting at a hard place. And I know that about a lot of you. And we know that about each other. And that's one of the purposes of the church is so that we can stay in obedience to Him and withstand the work of our enemy. Be, be protected in our heart. Galatians 6.1 says it this way, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him the spirit of, of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. That's our covenant. That's our commitment with each other. That we will help each other stay on track with God. And if we see someone getting off track, I love you enough, I'm going to say something to you about it. You love me enough, you're going to say something to me about it. The contemporary experience of church buffet is not biblical. God's plan is that you connect with one local church where you submit to authority, honor leaders, live in obedience, and have a protected heart against sin. That's what God's up to. With this church now listen I've been here 19 years I'm connected and committed Jerry our worship pastor has been here 16 years he's connected and committed Randy one of our elders has been here as an elder for 15 years a member for 18 plus years connected and committed. Most of our leaders have been here over ten years. Connected. Committed. We're not flighting around. Jerry and I have had calls through the years. Would you come and do such and such in our church? And we've just said no, can't do it because God's got us at Meadowbrook connected and committed. What about you? Is that your local church experience how do you respond to what we've been talking about I'm just going to say two things one do you know Christ is he your Lord is he your Savior have you placed your hope and your trust in his person and the work that he did on the cross in your place are you saved and you know that you know that you know that you're in the hand of God for all eternity? And if so, have you committed to follow Him with all your heart in the local church? Somebody says, well, you know, I can be spiritual without a bunch of hypocrites around me. I can go out to the mountains. I can go to the lake. Yes, you can have spiritual experiences like that. No question about it. You can't be a church like that. You say, well, why not? Well, if I had a bunch of bricks right here and I started building, you know, a church, it takes all those bricks together to make us. You're just a brick. The way Peter says is, you're a stone. And it takes all of us together to be the church. Let's pray about that. So Father, thank You for taking us through Your Word in these moments to speak to us about Your church. And Lord, uh, we don't want to make too much of it, and we certainly don't want to make too little of it. We want to look at and experience church exactly the way You want it. So we pray that you'd give us grace so that we might have a soft heart that would respond in obedience to however you're leading us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.